the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a ring of truth that is unmistakable Knowing that you cannot find them all And if you listen carefully And sometimes even if you don't You can hear that sound Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. They may feel like, you know, nobody's in control. And yet God here reassures them that the earth is under His command. And I think that that's comforting to us as well to be reminded that the world is under God's command. And things in the world are not, they're not falling apart, they're falling into place according to his plan. And the events in this world are being carried out according to God's timeline. Pastor Dan talks today about how God is and always has been in complete control. Have you ever felt like life was moving so fast that you couldn't hardly keep up with it? Multitudes of terrible things have happened and you think, How could God let that happen? Pastor Dan reminds us today how God is saddened by our sins, but it doesn't surprise him. We may not see it, but nothing has happened that God can't turn around for the good. He has known since the beginning how everything will fall into place according to His will. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. The book of Isaiah is sometimes referred to as the Bible in miniature because Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. It's also called the fifth gospel or the gospel according to Isaiah because Isaiah describes the virgin birth of Christ. Isaiah describes Christ's character, his life, his death, his resurrection, his second coming. They're all presented in Isaiah. And remember, Isaiah is writing hundreds of years before Jesus Christ is born as the baby in Bethlehem. He's describing all these things prophetically of future events that will be fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ. And just as the Bible ends with Christ's return to the earth, literally, physically to the earth, visibly, to redeem Israel, to judge Israel, sinners, and then create a new heavens and a new earth. The book of Isaiah ends in the final chapters of Isaiah with the same theme. We've seen in chapters 60 to 66, the Redeemer come. The Redeemer comes for Israel, for Zion, to save his people and to judge sin. Uh, And so now we come to the last chapter, and we see in verse 1 of chapter 66, Thus says the Lord, so the Lord God, Jehovah, is speaking here. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my 
footstool. The Lord is enthroned in heaven. And the earth is his footstool, meaning the earth is under his command. It's under his dominion, under his rule. And he speaks this as words of comfort to the children of Israel. Because as you, as you know, as we've gone through this study of Isaiah, they've had other nations come in, invade their land, destroy their cities. Uh, the Assyrians first, and then the Babylonians will come. And to them, they may feel like, you know, nobody's in control. And yet God here reassures them that the earth is under his command. And I think that that's comforting to us as well to be reminded that the world is under God's command and things in the world are not, they're not falling apart. They're falling into place according to his plan. And the events in this world are being carried out according to God's timeline. If you remember back in chapter 6 of Isaiah, a very well-known passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 6, King Uzziah died. King Uzziah reigned as king of Judah for 52 years. He was a good king, and the nation prospered greatly under King Uzziah. And so when he died after reigning for 52 years... As you can imagine, there was great anxiety in the kingdom of Judah. The people were worried about their future, and they were fearful of what would happen to them as a nation and as a people. And it's in the midst of that that Isaiah has this vision that's recorded in chapter 6, where it says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah has this vision of the Lord still seated on his throne in heaven. At a time when the nation's worried and fearful about what will happen, what will become of us now that our king is dead, Isaiah has this vision of the king, the king of kings on his throne. In heaven, still ruling, still in control, still in charge. In fact, he goes on to say in Isaiah 6, in verse 5, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, Isaiah saw behind the veil, so to speak, and he saw the king behind the king, right? The king who was really ruling and reigning. It wasn't Uzziah. It was the Lord of hosts. It was God himself. And he's still on the throne. The throne of Judah is vacant, but God is still on the throne in heaven. And here in chapter 66, the Lord ends this book, this prophetic book by reminding us that he's still on the throne in heaven and that he rules over the earth. The earth is his footstool. Now, if you're a note taker uh, in Acts chapter 7, verses 48 to 50, Stephen quotes verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 66. As Stephen, remember, was giving his defense before the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, and in his defense, he goes through all of Israel's history 
in their relationship with God. And then at the end of it, he says, you've always been stiff-necked. You've always rebelled against God. This has just been your story throughout your history. And he quotes Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2, in that speech that he gives in chapter 7 of Acts. So again, the Lord says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. And he goes on, where is the house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. God's throne is in heaven. The earth is his footstool. And God asks the question, what house then can man build for him? He dwells in heaven. What building can man build that is better than heaven? His current dwelling place. You know, where God would want to move to that building and leave heaven. Besides that, the Bible tells us that all that we have, all that you have and all that I have, has been given to us by the Lord. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, what do you have that you didn't receive from the Lord? Everything we have has been given to us by the Lord. So what can we build or what can we make for God or give to God that he hasn't already given to us. Everything that we have, he gave to us. And now, what are we going to do for him and give to him in return? He's given us everything that we have. And we're we just going to give back to him what he's already given to us. You know, here, here you go, God. I want to give this to you as a gift. Well, I, I gave it to you, you know. When I was a young kid, like in elementary school, I would sometimes go in and uh, take something that belonged to my mom like a piece of her jewelry, and I would wrap it and give it to her as a gift, right? And she was very gracious about it and acted very thankful. But really, how, how pleased was she by the gift that I gave her when I was just returning to her something that I took from her, you know, not very impressive. And here the Lord kind of says the same thing, like, what, what are you going to give me? What could you possibly build for me? Everything you have, I gave to you. So what are you going to give to me in return? And he tells us here in verse 2 what he really wants from us. If you look at the end of verse 2, he says, But on this one will I look. And the idea is I will look with favor on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Here's what God wants from us. Uh, he, He doesn't want us to build him anything or to make him anything. He wants us to have a poor and contrite spirit and to tremble at his word. Now, he's kind of the ultimate person who has everything. What do you give somebody who has everything? And he tells us here what he what he would like from us. He would like for us to have a poor and contrite spirit. And to tremble at his words. You know, back in chapter 57, uh, verse 15, it says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, that's heaven, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Who dwells in heaven with God? Those who have a 
contrite and humble spirit. And here he says in chapter 66, the one that I will look on with favor is the one who is poor and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. You know, in the Psalms, we're told, Psalm 51, that the person who has a broken and contrite heart, God will never turn that person away. If We come to him with genuine brokenness, a genuine humility. He never turns that person away. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Pastor Dan will share the second half of today's message in just a moment. But first, he'd like to take a moment to tell you how you can receive prayer for your needs. Do you need prayer today? Every week we receive prayer requests from our listeners. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would like to pray for you right now. You can share your prayer request with us through our website, calvaryec.com. Again, that's calvaryec.com, or through our church app, or by calling us at 410-491-4592. And can I ask you to pray for us as well? Pray for the Ring of Truth radio ministry as we bring the Word of God to those who need it. Thanks, Pastor Dan, and thank you for praying. Now, let's finish today's message. What does it mean to have a poor spirit? Let me tell you first what it doesn't mean. A poor spirit is not a bad attitude. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean to have a depressed attitude. It doesn't mean to have a negative attitude. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He didn't say blessed are the poor sports, right? To be poor in spirit means that you you recognize your own spiritual poverty. You recognize your own spiritual weakness. Your own spiritual wretchedness. And the word contrite here, to have a contrite spirit, the, the word contrite, it means to be stricken or to be disabled. To have a contrite spirit means that you understand Uh, your own sinfulness, you understand your own inability, you understand your own inability to stand before God in your own righteousness. A contrite person recognizes their own guilt, their own failure, their own inadequacy. It's it's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of self-confidence to be contrite. And that's where the, uh, the gospel shines, right? Is when you have a person who has a poor and contrite spirit, that's where the gospel comes in, right? A person who, who recognizes and understands that they are not good enough to stand before God, a person who, who, who understands that they cannot stand in their own righteousness or their own ability before God, And then to have the gospel come in and to hear that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for all the things we've ever done wrong, for all of our failures, for all of our guilt, for all of our shame, that his blood takes away all of our sin. And then his righteousness is imputed to us. Our unrighteousness is given to him and his righteousness is given to us. 
And now we can stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is a freedom and a joy that comes for the person who knows who they are apart from Christ and who they are in Christ. You know, who recognizes their own bankruptcy spiritually without Christ and who understands their position that they have in Christ before God where they will be called holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight, right? There's a freedom and a joy that comes with that understanding. Earlier this week, my wife and I, we took a trip, a quick trip, a little mini vacation down to Texas, and we were in Waco, Texas. And as we're driving through the city, uh, we saw a couple blocks over uh, Calvary Chapel. And so we stopped in there because that's what we do when we're on vacation, we see a Calvary Chapel, we stop and knock on the door and talk to him. So we stop at this Calvary Chapel. You know, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. And there's a guy in there mopping the floors. He comes over, he unlocks the door, and he lets us in. And this dude is like covered with tattoos. I mean, he, he has tattoos on his face and on his head, like the real deal, you know. But he also had just this tremendous joy. Just the joy of the Lord. Uh, and we talked to him for a while. And you know, it turned out the guy had been in prison for a while. Committed his life to Christ. He's born again. And you know, Jesus said a person who is forgiven much loves much. And this guy loved the Lord. He loved serving the Lord. He's mopping the floors. He's got worship music blaring in the building over the sound system. Just a joy. The joy of the Lord. You know, He's a guy who just he understood who he was without Christ and who he is in Christ and was just walking in the freedom and the liberty and the joy of being redeemed and being forgiven and being made a son of God. You know, God looks on favor, looks on with favor of those who are poor and contrite in spirit. And he says, those who tremble at his word. Those who tremble at God's word. Those who tremble out of a reverence, out of an awe. You know, there there should be a certain soberness that we have when we come to the word of God because it's the word of God, right? Because God has given his word and we have it. God speaks to us. And because his word is like a two-edged sword. And because his word is like a hammer. And because his word is like fire. Because his word is like a mirror to our soul. And because his word is is bread that gives us life. And because his word searches us, right? You know, you just sit with your Bible. You sit with your Bible in the morning. Cup of coffee. And how often just the word of God searches your heart. The word of God exposes, exposes your deepest thoughts. And so there's a sense of awe and reverence. When we come to the word, we tremble at it. Now, in Isaiah's day, most of God's people were not trembling at his word. Most of God's people in Isaiah's day We're just ignoring God's word 
and doing their own thing and doing what was right in their own eyes and just kind of making up their own rules. In verses 3 and 4, the Lord will address those who practice just empty religious ritual without any heart, without any real meaning or reality to the worship. And, And he does this because that was what was going on with the children of Israel at this time, they, they were still keeping the feasts and everything, but it was all just empty religion. They were just going through the motions. It wasn't born out of a reality in their hearts. If you remember back in chapter 29, the Lord said that these people, they honor me with their mouths. They worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God is concerned about the heart. Is our heart in it? Is our heart motivating us to worship for the children of Israel? Their hearts weren't in it. It was all just routine and ritual. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus called the religious leaders hypocrites. He called them actors. That's what that word means. You know, here they were the religious leaders and they wore the robes. And and Jesus says, you're just actors. You're just acting spiritual. You're just acting righteous. In fact, he described them saying, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Outward appearance, they looked clean. They looked right. They looked godly. But that wasn't a reflection of what was going on on the inside. And their hearts, their hearts were far from God. And the lesson here that we see in verses 3 and 4 is that the heart of the worshiper is really what determines the value of the offering. The heart of the worshiper determines the value of the offering. Look at what God says here. He he makes a, a very dramatic statement here against their empty religion. He who kills a bull as a part of sacrifice, as part of the sacrificial system, This is how God sees it. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. You know, and and he's speaking again of those who are just doing this out of empty religion. It's just empty ritual. You know, it's just their their tradition that they do. And again, you know, offering a bull, offering a lamb, bringing a grain offering, burning incense. Those were all things that were prescribed to do in the law of Moses. That was part of their worship practices. So they're still doing those things, but it's just out of ritual. There's no meaning to it. There's no heart behind it. There's no reality with God there. They're just checking the, the religious boxes. And what he's saying here is if, if you do it out of ritual and your heart's not in it, it's adding to your sin. It's adding to your sin. Do you see that? He says if, if you bring a bull but your heart's not in it, it's as if you've slayed a man. That's how God sees it. He sees it as murder, right? Your heart's not in it. It's just making your situation Worse, what you're offering is repulsive to God. He asked me how I know, and I 
We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth.